Hello and welcome to Interval, the Norwich Theatre Royal podcast. With a new episode releasing each month, this show will bring you exclusive news, views, interviews and behind-the-scenes content. We will have the latest information for shows and events at Norwich Theatre Royal, Norwich Playhouse and our Learning and Participation Centre, Stage 2. If you're interested in the performing arts in Norfolk, then this is the podcast for you. In this month's episode, we hear from Rufus Norris, the National Theatre Director, tackling Macbeth's witches for a modern age. We chat to Bronzy Tadman, the only human in the magical world of Peppa Pig Live. Plus we speak to one of Britain's top magicians, Jamie Raven. Ruthlessly fighting to survive, the Macbeths are thrust towards the crown by forces of elemental darkness. This is Macbeth. 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 Hail Macbeth, that shalt be king hereafter. It will have blood, they say. Blood will have blood. Things without all remedy should be without regard. What's done is done. We have scorched the snake, not killed it. There is foul, foul is foul. Rufus Norris is the artistic director of the National Theatre and the director of Macbeth. He came to visit Norfolk with a whistle-stop tour of the Theatre Royal. Rufus spoke to communications officer Judy about his vision for taking theatre across the country, the political allegory of Macbeth, and the ways he believes school students should be studying theatre. I have not been to the Theatre Royal here before, but I have been to the city several times. First time I came here, I think I was about 10. Uh, and uh, yes, I've been back several times uh, since. Um, I have yet to swim in the sea here, which is uh, frustrating. We're called a national theatre, um, and it's not enough to take that title and, and uh, produce work in London and in the West End and take it off to Broadway when it, when it works. If we're to be called a national theatre, we have to be national. Um, and that works in many different ways. Um, one of the things that I've tried to do uh, since I've been there is to increase the number of co-productions we're doing with other theatres around the country, uh, to increase the amount of touring that we're doing. We have always toured. Um, and in fact, the, the touring figures for the past, uh, I think the past seven or eight years have been pretty healthy. I've been very keen to diversify that, to not just take out the, the, the shows, Warhorse and Curious Incident, those big shows which, um, which are fantastic, but have the reputation of the West End, but also look at some of the medium scale uh, or even smaller scale touring and diversify that, increase our schools tours, um, as well as NT Live and uh, you know the various other ways that we've got some skills exchange there's the, 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 there's an increasing number of ways in which we can be engaged i feel with theater making and theaters and art centers around the rest of the country it has to be two way it's conversation um it's not about us going this is what we do and we're just going to um you know uh, dispense this marvelous uh, work it's it's also understanding um what the culture is like in in different 
places. You know, the, uh, how the creative industries or the arts work in Norwich is is a is you know many many miles away from how it works in Sunderland or in Manchester or in um, in Barnstable. And I think it's beholden on us to have those conversations and to understand uh, the reality of that because we singularly have the opportunity to advocate. Um, you're bringing Macbeth here to the Theatre Royal from October 30th to November the 3rd. Um, why do you think Shakespeare and Macbeth in particular still has such an enduring appeal to audiences? I think Macbeth has, has all kinds of aspects to it which make it, which make it so compelling, which makes it, I think it, it may even be his most um, popular title. I think Hamlet is probably his most famous. But um, Macbeth gets done um, again and again and again. And I think there are several reasons for that. It's got lots of action in it. So it's an action uh, uh, play in a way. Um, it's also got a metaphysical element to it with the witches. So there's, a, there's, there's something very um, uh, sort of compelling and, and frightening about that. You know, there's a very deep belief system which is in our roots in this in this country that predates Christianity, which is expressed through the witches and their connection with nature. It's also got the incredibly rich and deep humanity that Shakespeare puts through all of his plays. At the centre of it, there is really the the play starts with a, with a relationship with one of the strongest marriages in the Shakespearean canon. And that gradually comes apart because of the actions that they take. I mean, certainly it's partly self-inflicted, uh, but it's also about the pressure and the pressure of leadership and the, 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 the kind of chaotic time that they're living in. And that analysis of a relationship coming apart under pressure, I think, is incredibly engaging. Um, so I think on all sorts of levels, um, people have found it a story at which to... Um, uh, look at their own lives or, 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 or get great entertainment from um, learn the lessons of not, uh, not going around killing people <laughs> I think there's, uh, there's a lot of things about it and right now um, this is about in a sense Macbeth is, is a tale of ambition um, and survival and political machinations and we don't have to look very far to see um, many examples of that I think particularly as as People become more and more informed through the internet and the availability of information. We are we're in quite a politicised age. It's possible to look at those big stories of political intrigue uh, and dynamic decision-making and leadership like Macbeth and see how it relates to our, our modern life. Oh, it's really complex on lots of different levels, isn't it? It is complex, but it's also really, really understandable. Some of, some of Shakespeare's plays... Get, get involved in, in, in politics or familial intrigue which, which, uh, which is quite difficult to follow if you don't understand the references of the time and some of them are, are, are plotted less successfully than others. Macbeth is straight down the line and, and everybody can stay with it all the way. I don't think, uh, yeah, I, I think it's one of, his, one of his clearest and most compelling stories which is, again, I think why it's so popular. It's also one of his shortest which is uh, in this day and age when audiences are very bright and very quick to, to understand the story, that's a, that's a bonus as well. Um, it's on the national curriculum, um, so it's a superb opportunity for students to come and see this. What do you think, um, how do you think it benefits their studies to see this um, leap from page to stage? Uh, the answer to that is quite simple. The, the, these plays were not written to be studied, they were written to be watched or to be performed. 
that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be studied. And I'm sure there are many, many thousands of excellent teachers around the around the country who are, who are, who are uh, analysing the text, getting the students to speak the text to each other uh, very well. But they're made for the stage and they come alive in the mouths uh, of good actors. And if you get the opportunity to see a Shakespeare well performed, it will certainly illuminate your understanding of it. I think if students are st uh, studying plays, they should be, it, it almost should be on the curricula that they get the opportunity to see those plays performed live. That, that to me, is the, is the sort of education. You know, we are blessed in this country to have had the greatest writer of any language, certainly of the English language, uh, writing, you know, and it's great that the this, this students study it. It's not great that, that the opportunities for them to see it are so few and far between. This version will be, uh, I think it will be dynamic. I think it will be very atmospheric. It will be very clear. It will be quite dark and spooky. And I, and I hope, I fully intend that it's, that it's told in a way which, which feels resonant to the age that we're living in. We're also travelling to theatres of quite significant size differences. So we're making it in a way that we can make it fit bespoke to every venue that we're going to. For me, what's exciting is about revisiting a show that I've made um, to see in what way we can improve it. There are some things that we started to explore in the first production which we can take further this time, particularly in terms of the, the witches and their relationship with the environment in which it's set. Um, the fact that it's playing in proscenium arches means that we can light it in a completely different way. Uh, I was talking to the sound designer yesterday and we, we're going to be enhancing the sound design um, significantly as well. So I think in, in many ways, it, touring it gives us the opportunity to, uh, to improve on, on what we've done before. How can the industry and the National Theatre help encourage young people away from their electronic devices and to come and engage in live theatre? What a fascinating question. And of course, this, this, uh, this question of broadening our audiences is, is absolutely at the, at the centre of what we, what we do. I think it's partly about making sure that there is... There, that it's partly about making sure that the work that goes on the stages is work that they want to see. And there are many different ways of doing that. Often it's to do with involving them in it. Um, uh, so I think to try and make the, make the theatre a community centre that they want to be uh, that they want to be part of is is um, is a is a key thing. I don't worry about the future of theatre in the long term at all. I think people like to be together. If you go to the beach down the road here, uh, on on a, if it's sunny on Sunday, then even though there are miles and miles of fantastic coastline here, a lot of the people will be congregating in the same place because they like to be together. And theatres are community centres where people like to come together. So in every way, it's about trying to make the theatres uh, the sort of community that they want to be part of. Macbeth by the National Theatre runs from Tuesday the 30th of October to Saturday the 3rd of November. And now for some family fun. Peppa Pig and Friends are back in a brand new live show full of games, laughter and live music. Getting ready to go outdoors. This is Peppa Pig's adventure. Bronte Tabman plays Daisy the only human character in the show. She told us what's exciting about family theatre 
and how she immersed herself in the world of Peppa Pig. So in the live show of Peppa Pig's Adventure, uh, you can expect quite a variation of things. A lot happens in a relatively short amount of time. So there's definitely some muddy puddles. Um, of course, the Bing Bong song makes an appearance. So I ask audiences to bring their best singing voices with me and with them when they come along. Um, obviously, you can expect all of the, the favorite characters, all of the Peppa Pig family, Daddy Pig, Mummy Pig, and obviously, of course, Peppa and George, um, as well as uh, I've got lovely Madame Gazelle in this one, which is the first time she's made an appearance in a live show, and obviously lots of Peppa's friends as well. So, yeah, lots of fun to be had. And who do you play in Peppa Pig? So I play Daisy, who is the only human character in the show. So I'm, I'm quite honoured to be allowed into that, <laughs> into the animal world of Peppa Pig. Um, they accept me even though I'm a human, which is very kind of them. Uh, and I sort of, um, kind of representation of the audience so kids can kind of get why I'm there. But also kind of a narrator and sort of... I don't know, someone in a review put it really well. She's sort of the thread of the show, kind of works to knit together the audience and, and Peppa Pig characters as well. And you're acting alongside puppets, so is that difficult? Yes. Um, I thought it would be more difficult because it's the first time I've ever done that before. Uh, but luckily, the rest of the cast who are behind these puppets are such brilliant puppeteers that I really do forget that they're there. Um, and, it's, and they really animate the puppets in front of them and they catch my eye and I converse with them and then I sometimes forget that they're maybe not real and <laughs> look a bit mad. <laughs> and, and have you got a favourite part of the show? Um, well, I know there's a sequence when we go on a camping trip. I don't want to give away too much of the plot. Um, with lots of different, we get lots of visitors to the camping trip, which is very nice and quite magical part of the show um so that really i really really like that but also i just love at the end um when muddy puddles which is a great song to sing and dance to and the audience get really excited and there's always a big roar at the end of it um and i just love that bit because it just really feels like everyone's just having a great time by that point um even if babies have been crying or <laughs> even if some parents have come there on a 10 o'clock on a Sunday, everyone by that point is absolutely one round and having a great time. So I always love that moment. Why do you think children relate to Peppa Pig so well? Um, well, I think the creators have been so clever in making Peppa relatable because she's a normal child. She's not perfect. And, and the family, the pig family, are not a perfect family. They're quite normal. Daddy Pig is... I mean, I think we can all agree, a bit of a disaster area sometimes, in the most loving way. <laughs> and Mummy Pig is there trying to pick it all up and hold it together. Um, George, yeah, he does cry sometimes at, a, at inconvenient moments. So I think people can see a lot of their own families in the pig family. So it's kind of escapism, but they're not feeling like it's a, um, I don't know, there's no pressure to be as good as the pig family. You can just be as good as, and it's, it's quite nice to, that it is that relatable. Does it differ um, playing to audiences with lots of children compared to um, if you were doing a show that had main, uh, mainly adults? Yeah, it is very, it's very, very different. Obviously, children are more verbal 
they'll tell you what they think. <laughs> and you can tell if you've lost them within a second. Um, but also, the children just shout things like, wake up, or come on, or ta-ta. They're just so excited, they can't hold in their excitement. And I love it. I love being told what the audience wants, because then we can give it to them. <laughs> How did you get into acting, and what have, you been, have been your career highlights? My first job was uh, at the Watermill Theatre in Newbury um, as Wendy and Peter Pan with uh, a lovely director, Robin Belfield, and musical director, Simon Slater. And it was just a lovely cast, a wonderfully adapted show, and a really good introduction into the industry. Um, and, of course, Pepper's been a highlight because I just, I've played humongous theatres and, um, and have really sort of been challenged by the audiences as well as, um, you know, like I say, those children are lovely to perform to, but they will let you know <laughs> what you think. So I think it's been a massive learning curve, um, as well as a gift. Playing places like Hackney Empire and things, things like that are pretty cool. <laughs> did, did you watch Peppa Pig as a child? Uh, I didn't. I'm a bit too old. I just missed Peppa. Um, so I, had to, <laughs> I did have to watch quite a lot. Um, when I was preparing <laughs> for the audition to get into the world of Peppa Pig, so that was quite funny. My housemates would come home and they'd watch me glued to the screen of Peppa Pig <laughs> six episodes in. Um, <laughs> so I had to sort of explain that it was for an audition. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't get to get the glory of Peppa as a child, but I'm certainly getting it now. Peppa Pig's Adventure runs from Tuesday the 18th to Wednesday the 19th of September. And finally, at the Norwich Playhouse, they're getting ready to welcome a world-class magician, Jamie Raven. How did he do it? Jamie will be presenting his latest show, Making Magic. It celebrates 25 years of performing tricks and illusions in an impressive career, which led to his breakout appearance on Britain's Got Talent, where he reached the grand final. But as with all of Jamie's shows, it's not always as it seems. We spoke to the fascinating Jamie Raven. You've got magic in the sense of, you know, the physically impossible, uh, where, you know, somebody might fly or change 10 pounds or 50 pounds, like, um, and then you've got others who specialise in what we call mind reading and like psychological illusions, so people like Darren Brown, who, you know, can tell people what they're thinking of or what their mother's maiden name is, that sort of thing. Um, I tend to do a bit of both. I'm more of the magic side of things because I like, I like watching, you know, physically impossible things happening. Um, that's the sort of stuff that we do. And some of it's really close up in front of people, tricks with cards and coins and stuff. Um, obviously, when we're doing the theatre show, there's lots of the, the bigger scale stuff, but it's basically me standing there doing, doing tricks and either on myself or I get people up, on, up from the audience to help me out. Yeah, my earliest recollection was when we were, I think it was 11, I was in... India on holiday with my family, we were in this uh, beautiful hotel and this, we were having um, dinner with some friends of ours, friends of our family, and this magician came over and he, he did his act, he did his tricks, and afterwards he took me and my brother and the other kids away, um, and he taught us some of the tricks that he was doing, uh, and it was amazing, and I was, I was hooked, that was like my first experience of it, I remember watching like magicians and clowns and stuff when I was a kid, but I'd never learned anything or been privy to anything, um, so to see that was amazing, and I came home and I was hooked on it, so for my birthday I got a little book on card tricks and then I got a bit older, I got the train into London, and then there's a couple of magic shops. One's called Davenport's and Charing Cross, and one's called International Magic on Clerkenwell Road. And I used to go in there, and they were like 
these like secret places where they you know they demonstrate these like miracles and then they sold you the ability to do them afterwards which is awesome so um yeah i, I was just hooked from an early age i'm 34 now so i've been learning yes yeah, since about 11 so that's part of that uh, that's part of 25 years and that's really interesting because a magician doesn't usually reveal their tricks at a live performance and yet that's how you learn yeah well that, that but that's how anyone learns anything you, you have to learn because someone has to share with you so that the the old saying like the magic circle is like you know not apt to reveal the secrets. It's not. It's not that no one can ever know. It's that if someone wants to learn a trick because they want to go and perform and do it for their friends, their family, their children, I'll teach you a trick in a heartbeat. But if you want to learn just because you want to know how I've done what I've just done, then obviously I'm not. I'm not going to tell you. So it's it's a case of sharing with those who are going to you know carry the art forward and perform and then hopefully inspire others and then they they can then share with you know the people going forward. So it's um. We're always totally happy to share, but it's, it's with people that want to learn for the reasons of, you know, performing rather than just uh, just because they want to learn. And now you're a huge success. People will probably most likely remember you from Britain's Got Talent. Tell us about that experience. It was crazy, yeah. It was, um, I, I did it, it was the ninth year um, that the show was running. It was 2015, I did it, and I went out and I did my audition. It was at the um, uh, Dominion Theatre, Tottenham Court Road. I'll never forget, it was four o'clock in the afternoon. It was the 15th of February, 2015. And I walked out on stage for my little six-minute act, and I did my tricks. And at the end of it, Simon Cowell said, like some people believe in ghosts, I now actually believe in magic. And I remember thinking to myself, if that doesn't get me a free haircut, nothing will. Um, and that was it. It, was, it all just escalated from there. And I, I'd been performing professionally for 11 years at the time. Um, and I'd been doing shows, and, and I'd, I'd been around the, not, not the world, as in like arena tours or anything, or theatre tours, but I'd been to various different corporate events and private things that I was doing and then to do the show it opens up other doors because once people know your name you can start selling tickets to your own theatre shows and that's what I'd always wanted to do. I think most performers will tell you that the dream is to is to perform in, in shows where people are buying tickets to come to see you and then if you can then progress and do your own thing under your own name that's that it doesn't get any better so just that's why I'm just so happy to be bringing it a new show and that'll be the fourth the fourth tour I've done of my own um, which is just, just awesome. I think the thing I noticed about your performances on Britain's Got Talent is that they were quite epic, with themes of passion and inspiration running through them. What do you think is unique about your approach to performance? When you you aspire to share yourself with the world rather than just mimicking others, it's so easy to, you can watch people doing tricks and you can think, I really like that, and you can copy what they do and what they say exactly, or you can take that trick and you can put your own spin on it, or you can be entirely original and start coming up with your own stuff and I think when people come up with their own stuff that's when they, they're, they're different to everybody else because no, no one else can copy you no one can ever be better you than you do you know what I mean so, so I've, I've always aspired to, to make others want to be me rather than me trying to be the next you know David Blaine or next David Copperfield or, because I'm not them I, I am who I am so when you know the advice I always give like young magicians it's just be who you are and let the world fall in love with you. If you like, if you think something's funny and you want to make a joke about something, you do that. If you want to be serious and you want to convince people that, you know, X, Y, Z, then you do that um, because that's, that's you and that's who you are. So I think if you stay true to yourself, you'll always, you'll always be original. Magic and live shows have had a renaissance in recent years with performers like yourself appearing on Britain's Got Talent. Netflix specials seems to be another progressive and exciting medium. Where do you see the future of magic with, with media that it's going to be on youtube there'll always be youtube and instagram and social media you'll always see tricks on there and, and obviously with netflix and stuff you'll always see shows on that but i think in a day now where everything is accessible like information wise you can i could i could sit in, this, in a car park now 
and watch anything I wanted on my phone now. You can get wherever you want, whenever you want. What you can't buy is other people's time. So if you wanted to see, if you want to go and see live entertainment, you have to do it when it's available. Now, there is lots of it around. There's a plethora, which is amazing. But in terms of magic, there aren't that many people doing live touring magic shows at the minute. So the modern focus tends to be on, you know, Instagram clips and trying to get views and followers, which is cool. And I get it, and that inspires other people. But people will always think, ah, oh, the camera trick, or oh, there's an actor, he's in on it, or oh, X, Y, Z. Whereas if you do a show for people live, they can see what what you see is what you get. They see you on a stage, they could touch you, they could come and they can they could feel the space all around you, so they know if there's no camera tricks. And if those people are chosen at random to help, they know they're not active. And that's that's when you know, you know, in my opinion, someone's great at, at what they do in my field is can you do it? Can you do it live? And can you can you tour a show? Um, and, and my whole ethos has always been, you know, try and make people laugh as much as they are entertained. Now, whether or not I succeed or not is, is another question, but I try, I try and make it funny. Um, but it's a magic show, but throughout it, rather than just, you know, trick after trick after trick after trick, it's, it's a look at why magic works. It's a look at why your heart is, you know, when you see a magic trick or something magical, why, why is your heart forced to believe something that your brain knows cannot be true? You know, we're all logical thinking beings. Why is it that somebody like myself, who is no more intelligent than anybody else, I've just, I've just learned a skill. Why can I convince you that something that is impossible is possible? Um, and then at the end of the show, we take someone who has done no magic, zero magic their entire lives, and I'm going to make them a magician, and they're going to do the last trick of the night with me on stage. We say, we're going to ask the volunteers, obviously. It'll be someone who wants to do it, someone who's never done a trick before in their lives, and they're going to be my assistant, and we're going to do a trick together at the end and that is going to be that's going to be the end of the show which I'm really really looking forward to because I don't think it's ever been done before and I'm really excited by the prospect of it because it's going to change every night <laughs> Why should people come and see Jamie Raven? Because it's brilliant it's the best <laughs> no, I'm joking um, if, if you it's, it's, a, it's a magic show that's suitable for all the family um, so if you've got um, young children and you can something to do with them please bring them along um, it is, if you have any interest in magic or, or live performance at all um it's two hours of, of magic tricks, uh, a few dabs, a few flosses as well. Um, and if you're interested in magic and why it works, then um, it might be it might be the show for you. But fundamentally, it's just it's just two hours of fun. I, I've always believed I'm I'm not a magician, I'm an entertainer, and, I, and magic is the vehicle that I use to entertain people. Some people sing, some people dance. So basically, it's just two hours of fun, suitable for the whole family. Bring them out, and uh, you might learn a thing or two about magic if you, if you come. Jamie Raven, Making Magic, is at the Norwich Playhouse from Monday the 1st to Tuesday the 2nd of October. And that's the end of our show this month. Thanks to Rufus Norris, Bronte Tadman, and Jamie Raven. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let us know what you liked and what you want to hear in future episodes. Thank you very much for listening to Interval, the Norwich Theatre Royal podcast.